Hey everybody, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. Um, today I'm going to be doing a review for Hacksaw Ridge. I just went and saw it tonight. It is uh, just about one in the morning now, as I am walking home from the bus stop. And being that my roommates don't stay up as late as I do, to put it mildly, I'm not going to really have an opportunity to do this review until sometime tomorrow if I don't do it now. And as I have the time now, I figured I might as well. So I am walking outside. It is pretty chilly, but we've been pretty lucky so far this year that you know, the temperature really hasn't dipped below 40 yet, uh, which I am very, very grateful for. So, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I don't know how much you've heard about it, but it's directed by the once uh, beloved public figure, Mel Gibson, who kind of hasn't had the greatest uh, trajectory in terms of star power, as it were. But, you know, he's in... Academy Award-winning uh, filmmaker, really. Um, and he's kind of been out of the spotlight for a while. He rose to prominence and um, I guess I'm not exactly sure what really broke him, broke through for him as far as the States goes, but he was a bit, you know, he was Mad Max in the original Mad Max trilogy. Uh, he ends up as half of the buddy cop team in Lethal Weapon. And he's, uh, you know, he's been in and out of a lot of movies in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, culminating in Braveheart, which is probably what he's best known for, I would say, and what gained him the most critical love and love from the Academy as well. Uh, since then, you know, he went on to do Apocalypto, um, and then, uh, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure Apocalypto came after uh, the scandal arose, and I, I remember when the scandal hit, and I was never a huge Mel Gibson fan. I remember seeing his movie What Women Want on TNT when I was much younger. And it's a fun enough movie. It's not a good movie, but it's fun enough. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really get it, the, all the hype around him at the time. You know, since then, it has, you know, because I hadn't seen any of the Mad Max movies. I still haven't seen any of the Lethal Weapon movies. And I hadn't seen Braveheart either. But now I have seen all of the Mad Max movies. I've seen Braveheart uh, and a, host of, a whole host of his other stuff that he's been involved in. And, you know, I'm 
you know, first reactions are, I'm really glad he's back. I hope this is a return to form for him, you know. Uh, like I mentioned before, I did, uh, you know, I did know, I know that he came out with, I think, Bloodfather that came out earlier this year, which I still haven't seen yet, but um, it's definitely one that I'm keeping in the back of my mind. And so, you know, I, I, he's, he's, he's having a small resurgence. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge is, is playing very well with critics. Um, I haven't checked its Rotten Tomatoes score in the last few days, but what I'm aware of, it's in the low 90s, I think, which is fantastic for him. And, you know, it, it's only doing, I think it only did in the mid-teens at the box office this week, weekend, but considering that he was going up against a, a starved kid's animated musical movie in Trolls, which overperformed quite well to 46, I think, million, and a and the debut of a Marvel movie in Doctor Strange that blew up to 85 million. I think that I think mid teens is a pretty decent showing for for old Mel. So that's that's kind of my first reactions for Gibson, and I think he does a really good job on this movie in terms of his direction and and his performance from behind the camera rather than in front of it because he isn't in the movie at all. Um, to some, some people's delight, I'm sure, uh, but hopefully he doesn't, hopefully he's, he's capable, you know, I think, I still think he's capable of giving off a strong performance and uh, maybe the next, maybe his next feature and hopefully this propels him to his next feature because I, I like watching the title cards uh, for this movie and the studios that were behind it and the funding that it was, whoever funded it, you know, I didn't recognize any of the names that I saw. You know, it's not Warner Brothers. There's no Paramount. There's no Universal. There's no Lionsgate. There's no Disney or, or, or anything. Illumination, A24. It's none of those, none of the studios that I had even heard of, really, are, are behind Hacksaw Ridge, uh, which... You know, you know, I think is is great that you know th this movie, if it does get the recognition that I do think it deserves some uh, when the Oscars come around in a few months, that that'll be great for helping to kind of elevate these smaller and lesser known studios. Um, so I, I think that's enough preamble uh, as far as. As far as the movie itself goes, I did see the trailer prior to this movie. I'd seen it quite a few times, actually. And the trailer, I felt, was very generic. And the trailer wasn't particularly exciting. Uh, it wasn't until the reviews really started to come in that I thought, okay, this, this, could, this has some legs, this could go somewhere. And I... I knew of the story, uh, based on a true story, about Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector in, in the early 1940s, or mid, mid, early to mid-1940s, uh, during World War II, who enlisted in the army, and 
refused to carry a firearm, refused to carry a weapon of any sort, and simply uh, went to basic training with the intention to become uh, a medic in his battalion. And I think, just on a surface level, I think that that's incredibly commendable. I think that's really... The, the principles that he holds dear to him and that he remains steadfast and resolute in, I think that that's a fantastic message and the movie does a great job in portraying just how unmoving he is in his beliefs, in his convictions. You know, I personally, while, you know, while uh, Doss's convictions are stem from his religious beliefs and his devotion to God, uh, you know, I am not religious myself, but I do share a lot of the same uh, beliefs in, you know, I have never held a gun. I never intend to. I never want to own one. I never want to fire one. I don't really condone violence of any sort. I think war is stupid and a waste of life and money and resources and time. But, you know, if we were in a full-fledged world war within the next couple of years, I don't there, I don't think there's any chance that I would enlist to go save people's lives. Uh, not that I think that there aren't lives worth saving, because they certainly are. And that's a point I want to get back to. But I just can't... Uh, I, I, I can't... I personally can't even participate in a situation like that. You know, I would be terrified of it. I, I, uh, it wouldn't be an awful circumstance. I, I wouldn't... Uh, well, I guess to kind of tie this into the movie, the scene that really struck me the most in the whole movie, you know, it comes about an mm, hour and 15 minutes into the movie, hour 20, hour 30, somewhere in that range. And... Uh, Andrew Garfield playing Desmond Doss and his battalion are shipped out to Okinawa where they are sent to Hacksaw Ridge. It's this huge cliff face with a climbing rope net, net up against the side of it. And the whole battalion climbs up the net and they, they eclipse the top and they're all kind of crouched together in this half circle behind this rocky outcropping, you know, waiting and, you know, it's very quiet. They're not sure what's going on. And a couple head out, and they call forth the rest of them. Like, slowly, they're advancing, they're advancing. You know, and it's, it's, it gets more and more tense as the scene progresses. And you're waiting for something to happen. You're not sure because you've already heard stories of from characters that, you know, like you watched the previous battalion returning, and they were blown to bits. They were absolutely devastated up on this ridge. So, you know, like, well, what, what happened? How did this happen? Why was this so devastating for, for them? And, you know, ultimately for us, like, what are we getting ourselves into that, you know, you can feel that going through everyone's minds as they're going closer and closer to, you know, what may very well end up, have ended up being certain death. And so, you know, you, you know, there were quite a few scenes pre earlier in the movie 
during basic training and you know they're very lighthearted by comparison they're very fun they're very just you know there's not as much weight to them you know but then you're as they're approaching the enemy lines uh there's a you know they're they're passing bodies all around them you know severed arms severed legs people blown to bits heads beaten in explosives all kinds of things and one of the soldiers uh jumps down into a hole presses up against the side of it and as soon as he turns over he's next to um a wounded japanese soldier who immediately fires on him he freaks out jumps up and the enemy boom headshots him immediately and as soon as that moment happens it comes without very much uh, uh, preamble and the next five minutes are incredibly engrossing incredibly poignant and beautiful filmmaking there the sound design the particularly the sound editing is incredible as bombs are going off gunfire everything is incredibly crazy there's flamethrowers people are getting killed left and right it's and amidst all this chaos because that's what it, it's just ultimately just chaos you know there's the semblance of some sort of military strategy underneath it all you know particularly for the japanese who were there who kind of like laid this ambush of sorts but it's ultimately just trying to stay alive and not get killed and for a moment you know desmond doss isn't the focus of the movie for a moment it's just these guys trying to do anything they can so that they can survive and hopefully take down a few quote japs uh before they go and it was just an incredible moment and scene you know there's just rage and testosterone and blood flying bombs going off you know you get to see various soldiers uh you know you know pop 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 duck dive dodge weave uh duck dive dodge dip and dodge uh vince vaughn is in this movie uh sorry and you know you know throwing grenades and and you know cover fire and all this kind of stuff and it's fantastic it's glorious and epic but it's dirty and it's really incredibly well realized and I, this scene blew me away i thought it was i i you know that i would watch that scene over and over and over again because it doesn't focus on one person it's not about you know heroics it's just about being there and experiencing it and how crazy and maddening war can be and that's kind of the way you always hear war talked about in that abstract term you know war is crazy it's it's a it's a it's an insane place it's you know there's just something mad about it and that scene is the best portrayal of war that I can remember seeing and you know I've seen quite a few war movies um you know the 
you know, you got Saving Private Ryan, uh, you know, you've got your Black Hawk Downs, you've got some of the more recent ones with Zero Dark Thirty, um, with, uh, oh, Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow's other film, uh, The Hurt Locker, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, um, there's plenty of older ones, uh, that aren't popping up in my mind right now, but there's so many great war movies, and, you know, I don't think that this movie is going to enter that conversation on the whole, but for me personally, I think that it's definitely warrants being looked at in that respect. Now, uh, you know, so that's the, that, that was the scene that really did it for me, that struck me. And more so simply because it doesn't focus on just Andrew Garfield running around and saving people. You know, which is pretty much all he does in the, in, <laughs> during the fighting. And it's nice to, you know, he does it a couple of times. They do focus on that. You know, you see him. But it does, the camera really does give kind of the battalion its due as, as far as that goes. Um, uh, so outside of the actual war scenes, you know, I mentioned Vince Vaughn. He plays a, a sergeant in the army, part of uh, Desmond Doss's battalion, he's training them, and he kind of initially comes off as this less angry Arlie Hermie type, who just kind of, you know, he, he, and he bursts into the barracks, and, you know, he's giving people nicknames, and ragging on them for this, for that, uh, which, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't land, sometimes it's quite funny, I think the less he tries to be, I think, a little over the top at points, and I think that that doesn't really suit his character all too well. I think the more understated he was trying to be, and the more sarcastic his wit, I think the better his his character came off. But by the time they get to the actual fighting, and, you know, you actually see Vince Vaughn, like, legitimately, like, you know, he's got to be so old which was kind of jarring. That was a, that was a point of contention as far like you've got all these young kids enlisting to the army. You've got Sam Worthington who plays the captain in the movie. But then you've got Vince Vaughn who plays the sergeant and he seems to be like two and a half times older than everybody else. He seems he looks like he's 50. You know, he's de- I mean, he definitely comes off as though he's in decent shape. You know, he's running with the guys. He's doing you know, he, he's, you know, when into training camp, you know, he's running with the guys, he's making them work, he's doing all this stuff. But there was a little bit of, it wasn't ever addressed, maybe that was the problem, but it just kind of felt off to me a little bit. Either Worthington was too young or Vaughn was too old or something. Uh, but I did like Vaughn ultimately, I think he does a solid job in the role. Uh, as far as Worthington goes, you know, I liked him, uh, but he, he doesn't give him too much to deal with. I mean, he and Vaughn essentially serve the same role, uh, which, you know, they're a little redundant and, you know, they're both like, they think that Carfield, that Doss is crazy and then ultimately come around that kind of thing. Um, let's see. But the first half of the movie doesn't even really 
deal with the war so much as it approaches um, Garfield's character trying to uh, enlist or and, and also showing his backstory and how he became to be such a pacifist. And I, again, this movie, the opening scene is a war scene with Garfield being uh, taken out on, taken, carried on a stretcher. And I really do hate that, like kind of flashback motif of, you know, the showing the end, a clip from like one of the closing scenes first. Don't Breathe did this from a, a month or so ago. And I didn't like it in that either. But uh, the outside of that scene, you know, you see him as a kid. You see him fighting with his brother a lot. Um, which, and you know, you see his kind of drunk, abusive father played by Hugo Weaving. And I thought Hugo Weaving was fantastic in this movie. He really, you know, he actually has somewhat of an arc in his own character. It's very understated, but it does, there does seem to be a semblance of change and evolution for the character that, you know, a lesser movie may have kind of ignored and passed over. And so, you know, I don't know. I feel as though Weaving isn't receiving any buzz for supporting actor, and maybe that's fair. Uh, but from only from the movies that I've seen so far, I would definitely put him in the talks for a nomination at this point. You know, I still have a lot of quite a few prestige films that that I haven't been able to watch yet. So. Um, his mother is played by Rachel Griffiths. She's serviceable, but not terribly noteworthy. Uh, what do we, who else do we have? Uh, you've got Teresa Palmer playing, uh, Garfield's love interest, um, in the Dorothy character, who, uh, looks almost exactly as I imagine, uh, uh Judy Garland as I would like a, a contemporary Judy Garland from Wizard of Oz almost. And there's even a we're not in Kansas anymore line said later in the movie, completely unrelated to Teresa Palmer's character. But I, I just felt that it was funny because in the movie, her name is Dorothy. It's hard not to make the connection. Um, the movie also, I'm kind of skipping around. I made, I took some notes while I was waiting, while I was on the bus, but uh, the movie also does a, I think it does a good job of not villainizing the Japanese. You know, obviously the American soldiers are against them, and that definitely comes across, but when they're actually fighting, you know, <laughs> Doss saves the lives of Japanese people too. Like, he, he does not discriminate on whose side they were on, and... I thought that that was a really nice touch, and you know, you, you get to the sense that, you know, yeah, like because the war is not the focus, because it's focused on these, this battalion, this particular battalion, these particular people. You know, we don't really get a context for the war. No one really mentions what the war is about. No one mentions until you're there, like where they're fighting in Okinawa. Nobody really. 
approaches that topic in any sense, it's simply war as an idea, war as a topic, not, you know, why are we fighting a second world war, not, you know, you know, other than, you know, the, the, you know, the enemy being Satan, other than the enemy being evil, that's pretty much all there is, and, you know, think of that how you will, but that's not a very specific, uh, adjective for what actually is happening. And so I, I actually really appreciated that. I thought that was a really good approach to displaying the war side of things and making it kind of like, yeah, you, you realize who the good guys and the bad guys are, but you know, you're not beaten over the head with it at any point. And, you know, when the fighting's over, even, you know, you've, you recognize, you know, as much as they say that the other side doesn't care if they live or die, they're just there to, to kill and hurt and maim or whatever, you still, they're not portrayed that way when you actually see them. I didn't feel. Now, there are some scenes that definitely conflict with the way, I, the way I'm explaining it, and, you know, I, those are valid for sure. But I do think that um, it's it's done with a lot more respect and um, validation than it really could have been. The last uh, positive I want to touch on is uh, Luke Bracer, who plays the role of Smitty in the movie. And Smitty is part of part of uh, Doss's battalion, who kind of again, in the same vein of Vaughn and Worthington's characters, is initially hostile and opposed to everything Doss stands for, and comes to begrudgingly accept him. And what I I, I actually I thought. Not only was the character written well, you know, you do get a moment between Doss and Smitty that's very sentimental, that's very emotional, and he he does come across very stereotypical, to say the least, in the first scene or two. Although, to be fair, the very first scene you see him in is actually quite hilarious, as uh, he and another soldier are they called it like some kind of game i don't i don't remember what they the term they used for it in the movie but essentially there's two people standing i don't know 10 feet 5 feet apart from each other throwing a knife at the floor between their feet and they're and, and inevitably it goes awry which leads to uh possibly what, what i thought was the funniest part of uh, Smitty and and then Vince Vaughn's character's opening scene, which they share essentially, and so I, I actually Luke Bracer, who is a name I, I never even heard of before, you know, I had to look it up so that I could use it in the in this episode, but I was really quite taken. I thought he did a really good job in, in the act in as far as acting out the role, and I'm going to be interested to like look him up and see and see 
uh, if he's been in anything else that I've seen or that's come out recently. You know, he's a young guy, obviously. So I'm sure his filmography isn't quite extensive. But I, I, I got to imagine he's been in other stuff than this. So I would, if you haven't seen the movie yet, I, I would keep, as, keep an eye on him because I think he's pretty good in it. And so some of the negatives that I just want to touch on, and there aren't terribly many, and the ones that there are I don't think are incredibly heavy uh, in com- relation to the entire film overall. And the first one is that it's very... The film is very melodramatic. The film is very sappy. And it's not always in a negative way either. You know, it definitely comes across at times as like, oh, well, this is a little too on the nose, a little too perfect, a little too, of course it went this way kind of deal. But oftentimes those exact scenes that make you think that are then adjusted either with the scene following it or a couple scenes down the line that help qualify it's help qualify exactly why that scene played out that way beyond simply just being like well obviously it went obviously he you know came to this conclusion of being a pacifist because of this divine intervention coincidence kind of a thing uh so while ultimately I didn't have too big of a problem with it, I think it is something that you will notice when you see the movie, that it is very, not straightforward, I think that's the wrong word, but it's very, not really sure how to say it, I guess it's just sappy, I don't know, it's just it's just sappy at times, and for better or worse, I think that that's kind of, uh, you know, Braveheart definitely hits that same note. And Gibson does have a way with that particular type of filmmaking. And I think that, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. And just once or twice in the movie, it comes across a little over the top. Um, another thing is, as I said, the first half of the movie is kind of just building up to the war. You know, you have uh, Doss as a kid, you have him figuring out that he wants to enlist, you have him enlisting, and then all the backlash he's, that's dealt with once he does that. And I, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to cover, which I think, and I think a lot of it is pertinent to the character and to the story, ultimately, you don't get that sense of relief, that sense of pride in him, that sense of respect and admiration that you as a viewer would feel watching him without all of this backstory that is, for the most part, well told and well paced. But it is a long trek to get to what most of the trailers really have in them. Uh, thankfully, the first half is the bulk of, or pretty much the only time you'll see Hugo Weaving's character and Teresa Palmer's character, who are both fantastic in the movie. 
you know, you, Palmer's even given, uh, you know, I, I, agency insofar as uh, she and Garfield go out on a date to a movie, and at the movie, Garfield notices a couple, a couple rows below them making out, and you get, you see this look on his face like, man, he really wants to do that with Teresa Palmer, and his kind of, his admiration for her beauty is palpable. Like, you can feel just how beautiful he thinks she is. And that was, that's a testament to Garfield. I, you know, he does that incredibly well. Not that it's terribly difficult when it's aimed at Teresa Palmer, for sure. But it's still a very impressive portrayal. And so after the movie, um, he, you know, steals a kiss from her. And, you know, she responds to it for a second and then pushes him away and slaps him. And he's kind of taken aback. He's like, oh, I thought you'd like it. Uh, didn't, didn't you like that? And she's like, well, I would have if you'd have asked first. And I thought that was such a clever tidbit of information. And now I don't know how true that is. You know, I don't know if this was part, uh, part of some sort of memoir or biography that was written on Doss. And, and that was part of it. And, and, you know, if it was, then, you know, the real-life version of Dorothy, uh, you know, it was a, very, a strong female. And if it wasn't, then I think that that was a great decision by Gibson to give her that much power and give her that kind of agency. And, you know, it shows that, you know, it just, it just gives... It get, puts a little wrinkle, it adds another dimension to these characters who would otherwise kind of feel flat. And I, I liked that quite a bit. So thankfully, uh, Hugo Weaving and Teresa Palmer are kind of there to lighten the load of the first half of the movie, which does suffer a little t at times from being a little slow. Uh, and then, periodically, I, you know, there were a couple of transitions and editing decisions that jarred me for a second uh, throughout the movie. Um, and, you know, you get this sense that, and the, the fact that almost none of the characters that, we're, that we see, half of the characters that you meet in the first half of the movie don't show up in the second half of the movie is another kind of point of concern, you know, you, you wonder, like, how, at least, at least after, after the movie's over, you wonder just how important they were to the story as a whole, and I don't, and I think that they are important, but I wonder if there wouldn't have been a way to make them work out as part of the film on a grander scale. But actually, you know, even as I'm saying that right now, I think that it would have been, uh, it would have been a shortcut, it would have been a, um, cheap to kind of, you know, maybe have a montage of Garfield remembering all these other people in his life, or for them to like, embrace him at the end. You know, maybe that would have been, maybe it is better this way now that I'm thinking about it. Hmm. 
interesting. I, I, I do think it is. I think that it that it was actually. I'm kind of coming around on it now. I think that it is better this way. You know, I think we complain all the time about TV series and film series kind of overstaying their welcome. And I think that maybe Gibson got this one right on the nose and as far as exactly how much we needed to see these characters. Maybe. Huh. Uh, so, so now what I want to do, kind of going forward, uh, now that we are in, it's, we're heavily in, we're, we're just in the break of the award season, you know, it's about a week or two away, and I want to just take a second and kind of see where I feel this film could stack up against, as a future Academy Award nominee, or possibly winner. Uh, I did mention Hugo Weaving as a supporting actor. You know, as of right now, he would have definitely be on my ballot. But I've heard a lot of great things from Lion, from Moonlight, uh, Silence, if it comes out early enough. Uh, and, uh, you know, I a lot of love for... Hugh Grant, who it seems is going to be considered a supporting actor currently for Florence Foster Jenkins, uh, which I've still yet to see. But I, I do think that Weaving's performance is quite strong. Garfield, on the other hand, I don't think he gets it. I don't think he's... I think he's good. I don't think he's great in the role. Uh, he does kind of have that kind of puppy dog look which feels a little over sentimental as as Desmond Doss so I, I don't I think he'll miss a nomination for best actor uh, outside of those you know I you know I don't think that Gibson's going to be rewarded with a director nomination definitely not so soon uh, definitely not for his first film directing since Apocalypto, I guess. Apocalypto came out after the controversy and scandal when he was completely in the shits, in the shitter with the, with everyone, really. I don't think he's won his way back. I think the next film, they will, if the next film has, you know, gives gets that kind of buzz and is good i think he has a chance with that one but i don't think he has a chance with this one so looking below the line at more of the technical awards uh, the vex the effects are fine they're not anything special you know i think dr strange is leaps and bounds ahead of it i think the jungle book is leaps and bounds ahead of it and I'm going to say that the one place I could see this really having a chance is in sound. Make sure I'm getting these categories correct. Sound editing. Not necessarily mixing. And if you're not sure of the difference, uh, you're not alone. Because I frequently uh, muddy the two. 
And the best way I was ever described it to is sound editing is like a violinist in an orchestra. You know, when you edit the sounds, you are the one creating the sounds from that violin. So, in other words, when a gun is fired in the movie, the sound editing team or person is the one creating the sound for that gun. And I think that there's a lot of really fantastic sounds. You know, it's a war movie. The war scenes in particular are just, I thought, perfectly executed in the sound aspect. I thought all the sounds really came through and really highlighted the equipment that they were using, the movements that everyone was making, you know, clamoring over hills, falling into hills, the rope against hands, against rocks, all these different things. I thought the sounds for those were really strong. And so I think it should be nominated, right now at least, for editing. Maybe, I don't know if I would pick, put it to win right now. And, you know, obviously we're still so far away. But mixing, I think, is less of a shot and so if editing is the violinist mixing is the conductor of the orchestra so as beautifully as you play the violin the conductor makes sure that you're not overshadowing the trumpets make sure that the percussion is not overshadowing you make sure everything fits together and flows together really well so it's kind of incorporating all of these audio elements into the finished project, the finished result. And, you know, I think it's a, I think it's good in that it didn't really stand out to me in the same way. And I'll admit, I'll be the first person to admit that I don't have the best ear when it comes to this type of thing, but from my perspective, that's kind of how I see it. And so I think the I think the real only viable awards that it's contending for right now are sound design or sound mix, sound editing and maybe mixing. So we'll have to see going forward if it kind of starts to conjure up a little buzz anywhere else for any of the actors or Gibson himself. Um, but yeah, so that's Hacksaw Ridge. I really enjoyed it. It's currently going to be in my top 20. Uh, we'll see if it can stay there. Uh, there's a chance, you know, I'm probably, I'm not looking at my spreadsheet right now, but I imagine it will be somewhere in the mid 80s. And when I, I will be doing a statistics episode for Hacksaw Ridge. And so you will find out the approximate number in the next episode. Thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. You can follow me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash stranger, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H. You can find me online at circleoffilm.com and email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can subscribe, like, follow, rate, me and this podcast on iTunes by searching for Circle of Film and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be back.
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.